Hey, Phoebe. Hi. Hey, we watched Summer of Soul last night. We certainly did. That's when the revolution cannot be televised, you guys. <laughs> right. Why I was did. that? Uh, because apparently Woodstock was going on the exact uh -huh. same summer. Right. And that had monopolized all of the television reporting. Are you trying to say white people in 1969 were scared of, say, 300,000 black people watching six weeks of uh, a tremendous cultural festival in Harlem? <laughs> of course I am. In 1969? Of course. Headlined by people like Gladys Knight, Nina Simone, Stevie Wonder, Mahalia Jackson, Sly and the Family Stone. <sighs> wow. Gladys Knight and the Pips and the Fifth Dimension? Oh, it was so amazing. I felt like uh, somebody, this the, the Quest Love put mm -hmm. this together. Was Quest like Love. Such a gift. From, yes, from the Jimmy Fallon show. It's like Quest a time Love. machine trip to something yeah. that was really important to be seen and mm -hmm. known. Thank you. And that's our intro, you guys. Welcome back to Yell About Movies, you guys. I'm Josh. I'm Phoebe. Yeah, we're a weekly movie review podcast talking about new films, uh, ideally, so we can be part of the conversation with, with people online or wherever you get your films. Uh, and today we're talking about an important documentary that was just released on Hulu, The, the Summer of Soul. It's really good. Really uh, important. Treat yourself. Yes. The majority of the footage was, uh, was held back from being put on TV because TV producers of all the major channels did not want a, a cultural program with some of the biggest black stars in the world playing music. They didn't want them and it was fun. It was right here in New York City but yet they put so many resources into just you know, all these white kids watching admittedly equally good music you know 100 miles away outside of New York City. Wouldn't you think that a, a giant festival like that in New York City sponsored by New York City in Harlem <laughs> a year after Martin Luther King died, would you know? Be, you know, news organizations would want to cover. Absolutely, you... absolutely. I don't know why they why they didn't, but uh, yeah. they said that Woodstock was mm -hmm. the reason that that just monopolized all of the television, and that nobody else wanted to televise it. But they also said a convenient excuse, by the way. <laughs> Seriously, I mean. Woodstocks was a big deal, but that those were two guys, like Jewish kids, I think, mm -hmm. that just wanted to put on a big party without any permits. This was something funded by the city, yeah. blessed by the mayor of New York at the time, who the black community really liked just because he was comfortable with black people, and we didn't hear a word of it. No, didn't didn't know about it. We had never heard about it until today. But I think it, what, didn't they say, too, that you, you, you mentioned... Mm -hmm. Martin Luther King being shot, right. also Malcolm X, John right. F. Kennedy, Malcolm X, John Kennedy, Kennedy, Robert F. Kennedy, right, in a row just over the last several years. So, right. And then the disparities of like how many white versus black soldiers were dying in the Vietnam War. So basically the black community was a pressure cooker. Yeah, there was a lot going on. And this concert... That lasted six consecutive weeks, one day festival, six week, uh, six of them, six weeks in a row. That's a that's a major undertaking by the city of Harlem. Totally. Uh, but it was used as like a way to and, give something to the community yeah. to calm their nerves, mm -hmm. like to that's, give them an outlet. Yeah, they they suggested in the film that the reason the city put it on to prevent rioting and burning uh, and looting one year after the death of Martin Luther King. That's what they suggested. Yes. Yes, and it was uh, amazing. And if you haven't seen this, wow, wow, wow. 
you are in for a wonderful surprise. It's, uh, yeah, it's so amazing. And it was set in Mount Morris Park, which is now Marcus Garvey Park. We oh, had, it is Marcus Garvey yeah, Park. We, we didn't, okay. We didn't think we knew where it was. But I knew. I Well, yeah, you were like, have you been there? And I'm like, I've been to Marcus Garvey Park. Right. I've never been to, yeah. <laughs> so just a series of tremendous songs and uh, performances in a row from, like we said, Stevie Wonder, Gladys Knight, Sly and the Family Stone. And each one of them uh, often had a little directorial outtakes mm-hmm. from Questlove with people like The Fifth Dimension. Mm-hmm talking about what the performance meant to them, because the Fifth Dimension put on these shiny, happy people songs on the radio that audiences, including the black audiences, and I did, I always have thought they were white music, because, you know, that Age of Aquarius song was played at uh, a, a water park when I was uh, one of my, at my first job, along with other white music, or, you know, just about. So they said that they didn't know how black audiences were going to react to them, you know, and they... Uh, and they got really emotional. How did that scene grab you? Oh, it got me emotional as well. And yeah. I, I cried along with the the band members that were mm-hmm. on, you know, talking about it. I'm so glad you brought them up because they were going through it too. They were black in 1969 as well, but they were the bands with the mm-hmm. white sound and people thought that they were white. And so even the community didn't really fully accept them. Yeah. But they were black in America in the 60s as well. So they got up and they even made a comment about their bright yellow outfits like mm-hmm. they were a little extreme like they thought they just looked kind of you know innocent yeah. i don't know and um they were up there seeking support from their community that it was so much more than just a performance it was a performance to their community and there was like a mutual healing and acceptance and that's mm-hmm. why it was so important for them it really opened my eyes a lot what must have been like to be black in the 60s? And, you know, what is it like to be black today? And we don't know. We're like? white people, yes. guys. And we, we admit that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I hope it's a healing uh, movie, you know, getting to share this with other people. Uh, it's, it's been tremendous learning about this cultural heritage that was stolen from them. Just, uh, it was a mm. massive undertaking. And, you know, people should have known about it instead of being, like, tucked into the back of magazines. Like, I think I saw a mention of it was called the Black Woodstock. Now that All I'm right. thinking back. I do remember hearing back about something called the Black Woodstock like years ago in one of the magazines I was reading, but I didn't, I didn't follow up on that for some reason. Just, oh. Well, not for some reason, you know, I wasn't heavily into black culture at the time just because I grew up white. And what I learned growing up was that large numbers of black people, scary. The Black Panthers, scary. So white people mm-hmm. must have seen these thousands of black people getting together and decided that was not something they wanted to see on TV because mm-hmm. they would cancel their uh, their subscription to TV. Well, you didn't have cable back then, but, you know, they would write the news channels, they would complain, get it taken down, um, and it, it, it had only been like a year and a few months since they saw Martin Luther King march on Selma and then uh, white police officers face down with them and beat them violently with clubs. Is, and uh, what was must white people have thought? They must have thought, oh, they're coming here to take what's ours, because, you know, apparently sharing wasn't a, a big thing back then. So anyway, I'm sort of rambling a little bit. What was it like? Uh, was you know, what was it like uh, in your your heritage growing up? Um, I mean, thinking about like black people and like the Black Panthers. You know, what what was your like cultural influence? What did they tell you? I mean, I I grew up in New York City, yeah. so you know, the world looks like Sesame Street to me. Um, you know, I grew yeah. up in within diversity. However, I'm also my brother and I were the only ones that grew up in New York City. Mm-hmm. The rest of the extended extended family are all you know white in New Jersey and yeah. not living in diversity. Mm-hmm. So I got to hear both of those voices of sort of like a fear of being in a black neighborhood versus 
being somebody who went to a school where I was in the minority. So, but I still never heard of this. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> this, um, which is so. That's why I'm so relieved that we have the opportunity to see this. Because, like, I mean, gosh, I feel like I went to concert last night to see uh, Stevie Wonder. Mm-hmm. At I'm mean, having a 70 inch screen TV helps. I'm just gonna say. I was like, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. it's like wow. Uh, it was delightful. What did you think of the host, that Tony Lawrence guy? Yeah, very intrigued with Tony Lawrence. He's I mean, was he an entrepreneur? Was he a businessman? Was he an actor? Like, what? What was it? Where did he go? I mean, I don't. Right. Know. Where did he go? What happened to this what guy? What happened to this guy? Like, Thank you, Tony Lawrence. Right. I mean, the festival faded into obscurity. Obviously, all his names didn't. But what happened to this guy? Right. That's right. I there should be another movie about this guy. But yeah, he was super entertaining. Kind of seemed like an Arsenio Hall for his time, right? A little bit? Yeah, I think better. You know? I okay, like, right. Yeah, but he was, I liked him a lot. Right. I mean, just a consummate entertainer. And is like, oh, they made mention in the documentary. Nobody had heard of this guy. He was just a hustler. And so he got all these national performers to come together. But for a while, they were shaky because like, you're guaranteed to get paid if you're doing, if someone's paying you for studio time. It's not as likely to get paid if you're going to a giant festival. Mm-hmm. I mean, so they were, some people, some of the actors and their managers were a little bit concerned. So mm-hmm. it was. I thought the documentary did a really wonderful job mm-hmm. of not only inviting us to this six week yeah. um, moment in musical and black cultural history, but also invited us to kind of learn about the black experience during that time and what this music means gospel music was there yes and i think it was reverend al sharpton that said we didn't have psychiatry we didn't have therapy we had mahalia jackson we had mahalia jackson so it was a comment mm-hmm. on like how gospel music was so much more than re- religious it mm-hmm. was the therapy it was the thing that made allowed them to emote so when mahalia jackson and uh mavis, mavis staples, staples are singing together and you just see the power and the emotion that are coming through and then every it resonating with everybody in the crowd i got a glimpse into the beauty of black culture howling in music through what they're they've been through for the past 400 years mm-hmm. it's wonderful it, it was. really really incredible to behold and then what was the uh, what was another one they talked about Oh, was it Pops Staples? Pops Staples was the was the father of Mavis Staples and his two sisters, and they had a it was a, a gospel band together, and they didn't but they didn't realize Mavis Staples didn't realize why they kept getting lumped in with blues bands, uh, even though because like, he was playing blues, I yeah. was like a yeah that was awesome. BB mm-hmm. King was on there, so we got right. to see the King of, of Blues, uh-huh. why he sings the blues, and yeah. um, what was another one? Oh yeah, and uh, David Ruffin, my girl, that was that guy was pretty cool. I didn't realize that somebody could sing a note that high for that long. Yes, he was like, nah. You're right. I mean, that <laughs> just guy, like that. Right. Something like that. <laughs> just for a second. Um, yeah, Gladys Knight. Heard it through the grapevine, man. It was, Whoa. wow. Whew, she is the queen of soul. She's yeah. great. And yeah. I also loved what she said about her relationship with the audience on mm-hmm. that as well. Because she was saying, we wanted progress. Right. And so when we came out singing, Oh, and I heard through the grapevine, she was like, this was a movement. Mm-hmm. And we were standing in solidarity. And well, what she actually said was, we wanted to be lifted up by our community. It was yeah. like a fellowship after a war. And, oh, 
Yeah, they didn't. Yeah, they didn't want to be the token black person. They wanted black right. people to be to succeed, and for them to hire other black people in their community to lift each other up instead of it looking like some uh, something that they didn't deserve. Right. Right. That's exactly. What, in the middle of this, this is also the same su- summer where the man landed on the Armstrong landed right. on the moon. Land on the moon. Right. I love this. Part. And they interviewed all of the white people and. Of the time. At the so, time, right. a man landed on the moon. What do you great. think? And I was, wow, ooh, ah, ah, ah. Mm. we're the best. And then they went to, this is televised, mm-hmm. and then they went to the black community and asked them, they're like, I think it's a waste of money. I think that you could use this money to help a lot of poor people. There's a lot of poor people suffering. What is on the moon? Nothing. There's people here. This yeah. has this has something to do with them. It's got nothing to do with the black mm-hmm. black America. Yeah, I think Al Sharpton said that too. You know, they, oh, uh, they yeah. care more about man landing on the moon than caring for the men down here. Whoa. And got away with word that guy. He does. <laughs> he does. Um, and uh, unfortunately, that seems to be true. But I would imagine that the the, the excuse that they give is like, mm-hmm. oh, but if you invest in something that big, you're investing in America, the power of America. And that we got to the moon first before Russia, China. So it benefits everybody and everybody's equal. And it's like, and the black man's like, we're, we're still suffering. <laughs> We still need that money, and yeah, um, yeah, well, and they still need that. Yeah, they still do. Uh, um, I don't think they've been helped still by us going to the moon. But um, what is? But but fortunately, we have made progress because what I learned yesterday was mm-hmm. that apparently Richard Branson went into outer space. That's great. So I don't know. I wonder how much that cost. That's, I mean, how about that? That's huh? pretty cool. Just a little, little joy trip by Richard Branson there. You know, anyhow, makes you want to lift every voice and sing. Yeah, which is. The anyway. Black National Anthem, which I'm surprised wasn't in this video, by the way. That's, uh, that's my right. little note. All right. Well, Nina Simone was. And yes. Wow. Has, wow. 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 Oh, my gosh. What wow. about that Nina Simone part? You, you've told me you're obsessed with Nina <sighs> Simone. I'm obsessed so with her. What did, that, what did that scene mean to you? You told me you, despite the fact that they said uh, this video had been unreleased, like at least the whole thing commercially, parts of it were heard on the radio, and obviously uh, some parts of it had been released before. You said you've seen... Yeah, her performance is out of context before. Well, I think that it was in what happened to Miss Simone. I mm-hmm. think that the because it said that this hadn't been been sitting in a basement. The the footage right. of this had been sitting in a basement for fifty years. Right. But I think some of that footage was put into what happened to Miss Simone because mm-hmm. I've seen this performance before. So yeah. I don't know. They so, were like, it's never been seen before. Right. Well, that's fine. Uh, we, hard to figure that out without spending a lot more time and research than we do. So uh, how did that how did that footage strike you though? Seeing it again uh, in this new context. Uh, of the of Nina Simone. Yeah. Oh, oh boy. Yeah. Well, I know a lot about Nina Simone, mm-hmm. and I know about all of her activism yes. and her vo- and using her voice for her people. Yeah. And what that meant to her. So it wasn't a surprise. I just love that somebody had described her as a um, at, like mm-hmm. a, coming out looking like an African princess. I I mean I I would even say queen. She's just yes. so regal and mm-hmm. um, a woman. She's just, I can't, there are no words. Yes. It's just song. She, I thought it was incredible. It was. But I, so I knew, I, 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 what I hadn't known was everybody else's context. Mm-hmm. What that concert had meant to the performance just as much as it had to um, the audience uh, receiving. Yes. And then so another one that was interesting was Fly, Sly and the Family Stone. I have oh, a funny story my about gosh. that with my wow. dad. But he had like white band members. Yeah, he, he had, had a... a White drummer and white uh, uh, saxophone saxophone player. Yes, and he had a woman. A woman who was a trumpeter, and she was yes. black, light skinned, and she also sang. Also sang. So it was like his band looks like Sesame Street. It was just like diversity, mm-hmm. and the music was 
righteous, and it was fantastic. Okay, can I tell my not the righteous brothers, mind you, Sly and Family Stone righteous. Apparently, anyway. I can't get my, my I can't get through a podcast without telling some kind of cool story about my dad that's because cool. my dad is cool. Listen, so that's great. We're my here. dad went to a Sly and Family Stone concert in Uh-oh. Madison Square Garden in I believe 1969, Ooh. and he said it was the weirdest concert I ever went to in my life. All of a sudden, the oh, the big openings, like the entrances into the stadium or whatever mm-hmm. you call it come out in big outfits with fur coats and wigs and they come out and then they took out these giant bowls of marijuana with joints <laughs> in them and passed it around and mm-hmm. they so sly and the family stone actually like smoked up their entire audience in madison square garden and my dad was there what Mm-hmm. That didn't make it into the documentary, I but you know, I just thought it was an amazing story. It was. <laughs> but uh, speaking of how uh, uh, music for the black people back then and as now is, uh, it, you know, can be yeah, therapy. Talk about this. this is children's what? show. Yes. Well, it's legal, sort it's, of. It's legal in, in New York, where we are right now. It's not legal in Virginia. But uh, it's getting there. Heads up, kids. There are. Pictures of people smoking marijuana in this documentary. Just saying, be careful. That's, that's right. Um, what? How did you think? Uh, speaking of music as therapy, what did you think of the integration of gospel music we talked about? Like when they started saying, "Oh, happy day," you know, uh-huh. I like and, and the fact they had in the audience and you saw the people reacting to it. I am so relieved you brought this up. This is like, I mean, maybe one of the most important points of the of the documentary was. Um, the role of gospel music in the black community and like what we were talking about before when you know emoting is the, is mm-hmm. the therapy but um and and we've talked previously about how black gospel music started because white gospel music rejected you know black people from the white churches so that's why did black gospel exist that in the first place literally abyssinian baptist's church yeah. uh, a few blocks away um from mm-hmm. marcus Gar- well, 10 blocks away from marcus garvey park that was a church in the oldest church in New York City, yep. next to Trinity, that had to be started because they were not welcome. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Hearing Mahalia Jackson. I mean. Saying, I mean, I, 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 we saw this last night and yeah. I am like still kind of floating. I feel like you you encounter something, you touch down into something very sacred and special. Um, and one of the attendees that was there as a, as a, a voice, he, he was just an attendee and that's why they were interviewing him. And he started to cry because he was like, the fact that you're even making this documentary mm-hmm. lets me know that I wasn't making, I wasn't crazy. Wasn't I wasn't making, making, it, making up. it up. Yeah. What something, ha- something was happening at this event. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, and he was all moved about it. So I feel so blessed to uh and grateful to Questlove for making this documentary because it's um such it's not it's just not, it's just such a treat and an honor to be able to you know have any kind of insight into see of uh people that have been uh, underloved putting it lightly um and to understand and empathize more it's, it's great great movie i mean it's just uh you can see from the crowd reaction, how much it meant to the people watching, how much it lifted them up. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just, you know, that, that greater cultural context just meant so much more to me watching it mm-hmm. than just, you know, a concert. Um, yes, absolutely. Yeah. And makes makes Woodstock look like, you know, <laughs> it's like, whatever. Yeah, I mean, yeah, white kids with the free time and money were able to drive hundreds of miles away, you know? they. It couldn't have been a black Woodstock uh, 100 miles away because they could, 
You know, some some of them may not have been able to afford to get there. White kids have more disposable income, time, and money. So, I mean, I do think it's important to mention, though, just 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 that Whoopi Goldberg did get pregnant at Woodstock. (laughs) That is a that is a fact. (laughs) That is a fact. Right. (laughs) Um, I think it's also important to mention the Afro. Uh, Latin right. community. There right. were some uh, Herbie Hancock songs. What was that? Yes. Watermelon Man. I forget right. the name. Watermelon of the band. Man. Right. Oh, and uh, I don't there was the name of the band that was playing it. Sorry, guys. Right. And there's also an African trumpet player named Hugh Maskella. That guy was pretty. Ooh, well. that guy was amazing. Right. I mean, just we just an absolute blend of uh, what? Right. Yeah, just like that. What they what they called neo noir super blackness in the documentary. I forget who said that, but I wrote down that quote. Nice. Because. You know, neo what? Neo noir super blackness. Neo noir super blackness. That's a song in and of itself. Gosh. So I mean, there's a rich, and this is when Lin Manuel and his father. Yes, Lin Manuel like, Miranda and his father were on talking about the Spanish music. Yeah. And I think they, I don't think they had any like direct connection to the concert per se. Right. It was you know like but that he, he grew up in in Washington Heights, which is north of Harlem, but mm-hmm. they are. I don't know. Maybe, you know, anybody know? Put it in the comments. Exactly. (laughs) Well, it it was, you know, it was partially, you know, like that VH1 behind the music style thing where they pull people, you know, who who could speak to the context at the time into it. Like, you know, so you got more out of it than just like what could have been in a lesser hand, a, a lesser director, just a series of straight concert footage, like, you know, concert to concert, concert, just with like uh, Tony Richardson, I think was a, you know, the, that guy is emceeing the next one. Without any context, some people would have done that, you know, just presenting it raw, you know, mm-hmm. just stringing it together. But right, uh, yeah, I really liked what they did with it, pulling up people from the present uh, to talk about the past, you know. Like, I mean, that. there are people who are Hispanic mm-hmm. and fully Hispanic, or and fully black, yes. and that is a big part of the culture and uh, diversity in Harlem, um, Spanish Harlem, mm-hmm. which is East Harlem, is. Um, a massive part of Harlem to this very day. And so having the, the joining of these two worlds just sort of like added to the solidarity and unification um, as, as spoken by the attendees there themselves. Yeah. How about that scene? Hmm? How powerful was that scene when Mahalia Jackson said to Mavis, Mavis Staples, like, I can't sing this. We got to back up a little bit more. Jesse yeah. Jackson is also mm-hmm. makes oh, an appearance Oh, that's right. He's there. He's Who's fiery. Wow. And really hot. Really hot. <laughs> Like, whoa. Anyway, uh, so he came out and on stage, and he was the last one of the last people to see uh, Malcolm. Oh my gosh. Uh, Martin Luther King. Thank you. Martin Luther King Jr. alive. In fact, Martin Luther King Jr. was shot oh, right. in front of him. Yeah. So Jesse Jackson came out and told the story. Mm-hmm. And the song is uh, Precious Lord. Well, you find the song. Um, he came out and told the story of how Martin Luther King uh, died and that um, he had just said to them, make sure they sing. Yes, my precious Lord. My precious Lord. Yes. And then, pow, he was murdered. And Jesse Jackson turned to the band and said, Mahalia Jackson is now going to sing this. So it was a very solemn memorial um, a, a retelling of how Martin Luther King Jr., Dr. Mm-hmm. King, was was killed, and also Mahalia Jackson herself, who's like the best of the best of the most, you know, of, of gospel singers, singing yes. his last words request. And then she leans over to Mavis Staples, yeah. who was a young ingenue at the time in her dad's band. 
Yeah. You know, she hadn't struck out on her own yet, which right. is now extremely well known. But she already had a very strong voice. Yeah. yeah. Very strong. I mean, I couldn't believe my eyes. I have the goosebumps all over me. Just um, seeing the power coming out of mm -hmm. both of them. Magical, of magical moment, which makes it all the more maddening that this this footage wasn't wasn't really shown in full context until until this year, twenty twenty. I know, I know. But hey, hey, uh, it's here. Yeah. And the only reason why it was the resurrector is because of Questlove. That makes me a little concerned because of Questlove, like. What, wouldn't somebody, I mean, another black artist that's like, I mean, at least somebody did, but like, shouldn't it be in like a museum or some sort of archival? Like, shouldn't it? Like, I, right. Uh, yes. Information and footage and, you know, should be preserved. Right? It was not allowed on the te television. What is the subtitle of this? The, the concert that had never yeah, been televised? Yeah, The Revolution was not televised. The Revolution that was not, te not, not televised. Not televised, yeah. So, like, it's true. But the revolution is um, among us, so, uh, so there's more progress with everything going on in the last year. I guess that's less about the movie. It's curious to know, like, what in what ways have we progressed, and what ways have things stayed the same? Woo. You know, that's another con. That's another hey. podcast. Wow. But this is what this movie does. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it makes you makes you say. think about these questions, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, any other questions that came up for you uh, watching this film? Um, I didn't think about any questions that I had. I, I or, sort of talked or, or like a history about that. and a black culture that sort of made a connection that pieced together with you. I mean, it's, if not, it's okay. We can just. I mean, yeah, the things that I the things that I've mentioned. Yeah. Um, it's okay. It's an absolute joy, uh, and you know, I think this this rating system is almost you know, what's the point here? Oh. I mean, I'm just. Oh. Is, is there any point in not giving it a ten? <laughs> I mean, please, please. I mean, I. Did you know you that Stevie Wonder? I have. I did remember one question. Oh. Did you know that Stevie Wonder could play the drums like that? <gasps> I did not. We Who? should mention that. I thought you were about to say, "Did you know Stevie Wonder was black?" And I would say, "Yes, he was, and he was blind." Did you know that? <laughs> anyway, yes. Uh, absolutely incredible drummer. Wow, <laughs> drummer. <laughs> drummer. I mean, this is. How have they been hiding us from this all these years? Stevie, uh, wow. Wow. What a talent. Yeah. What a talent. And unfortunately, uh, and they had footage of Stevie Wonder now, unfortunately, despite the fact that he's been blind then as now, he had a better dresser uh, back then. He's, it's like his glasses aren't as <laughs> oh, cool now. Oh, don't you dare. Anyway. Be, don't you dare be mean to Stevie. I'm not. Just his I mean, if he just kept his original glasses, his face hasn't changed. Stop. Anyway. No. Uh, no. Sacrilege. Okay. He's very cool. Just the Stevie Wonder. That guy could walk around in a hot air balloon if he wanted to, and he'd still be cool. <laughs> I, I know. He could. He was amazing. He earned it. Thank you. All right. Just 10 out of 10. Is there any? 10 out of 10. 10, out of 10. And, and go see it. it is, yeah. It's phenomenal. It's, it's You'll be blessed by it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely will. And you'll it'll make you want to lift every voice and sing, which that had to have been played. I don't think it was, but um, Oh Happy Day was. was oh Happy Day right, but anyway. Great song though. Yeah. Great song. Uh I don't know if there is a way to watch like all the footage that oh, there was shot over six weeks because obviously oh. there's a lot more. This was six. Well, one there day is concert. a movie on on Woodstock. That's a really great. They should have released the Black Woodstock. Very great. Right. There's gonna be. I mean, wow. this is like the edited version. Like, they, you do feel like you go to a concert, but mm -hmm. yes, it, yeah, it's not. 
It's not without disruption. Right, and you might you might forget while watching it that it, this is not a one day. This is over six six weeks, six one day concerts. You might yeah. forget that because they didn't really emphasize yeah. that. Yeah, right, right. Right, they made it. And that was that was another big difference between that and Woodstock. Woodstock was a couple days, I think. Mm-hmm. Maybe it, it was several days in a row. This was over six different weeks, six days, six different days. So uh, yeah, it was a much longer period of time. Yeah, I guess we didn't really answer the question of why did it go into a basement for fifty years, right? I guess we didn't. We knew that it didn't want to be on there because of Woodstock upstaging uh, everything. But why? Why did it just? I don't know. Uh, well, anyway, well, TV. I mean, TV is. Uh, I mean, for business people, it's economics uh, and a little bit of prejudice mixed in. I suspect they just didn't think that their majority white audience would want to see it, in and that probably they would write them letters uh, to their local affiliates and get upset mm. at them, and they thought it was going to be a big headache. May- maybe decided it wasn't worth their time. I think uh, maybe, but. Yep. Well, hopefully that something like that doesn't happen again because this was amazing. Summer Soul, go watch it, uh, and that's it. That's it. That's okay. it. Great. We love it. We <laughs> hope you do too. Thanks uh, for listening to. Yeah, what about me? Bye. I told you they'd yell about directors, yell about the plot. They yelled about the acting, hope they let the guests talk, but mostly Josh and Phoebe.